The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Don't mess with the team after they get embarrassed. That's lesson number one, man. The question really is what does it mean to be embarrassed? That, I think, is really... Anyway, it's a gambling thing. We'll talk about it in the middle of the podcast. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. It's Tuesday's edition of the podcast. I am Dan Bespris, your gracious, lovable host. (laughs) That's crock-a-hooey. At Dan Bespris on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, or just Google search for Dan from Hoopball. Fun Monday, a couple of interesting lines, a couple of interesting footnotes in these games, some lineup adjustments that are always worth discussing and dissecting, some guys getting closer to making their comeback from injury, no more unbeaten teams, a surprise team at the top of the Western Conference, well, not all the way at the top, but pretty close. Somebody scored 40, a couple of guys, I think, scored 40. Two guys. Three guys. Sorry, everybody. I got it now. Three guys. Did three guys score 40? Or two and one guy get real close? Doesn't matter. The point of it is, it was a fun Monday. We learned a lot of things. We all grew. <laughs> now we feel better about ourselves. This is, of course, a hoop ball presentation. Hoop-ball.com is the website. Check out the premium product, which you can get on sale with our coupon code. DOC, D-O-C, for $3.50 off. It includes... Such smash hits as the weekly lineup show, hosted by myself, Brandon Marcus, Aaron Bruski, the weekly waiver wire show on Sundays with the great Ethan Noroff of Roto World fame, now a member of the Hoopball contingent, the great Eric Ong, who's been doing fantasy since before you were a gleam in your father's eye. That's on Sundays. And then, of course, we've got this unbelievable uh, cavalry of Hoopball analysts that take your questions. Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, live. I love that part of the premium membership. Check it out. Go to hoop-ball.com. Click on the premium tab and choose preview game time premium. And then you can see all the good stuff that's involved. And if you like it, you go and you can buy it. Coupon code again is DOC. This show is also brought to you by Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee Company. H-I Kona Coffee on Twitter. HawaiianIsles.com or search for Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee on Amazon. You guys know how this goes now. We're in the regular season I don't think I even really need to tell you what's going to happen on the podcast, but I will. We're going to recap Monday's games, lessons learned, get you set for this evening's Tuesday affairs, break them down both from a basketball and a betting standpoint. It's a better size Tuesday than usual. we got six games coming up tonight. And as a Laker fan, I'm excited about every one of those damn games. Just from a win-loss perspective now, they're fun to watch. Not a ton of fantasy value outside of the big guys, but fun to watch. Uh, We'll talk about any betting angles that might be involved in there. We'll talk about some leans we might have. I mentioned, and that was how I opened the show, talking about teams that get embarrassed and how the line tends to be a point or two shifted off of the norm, and that's all you need long-term. We'll talk about that when we're into the uh, betting part of our show. Let's just jump right on into the Monday night card. Detroit was in Washington. This, by the way, was a super weird line to begin with. Washington by three and a half. We talked about it on yesterday's show. And I said, something is amiss. And the thing that was amiss is that Detroit couldn't score. Andre Drummond was 
I don't know, drunk? Like 6 for 20 for the big man against that team? He still had 24 rebounds, 2 steals, 2 blocks, 4 assists, and he made all 3 of his free throws. That dude is unreal this year. Bruce Brown played well with Derrick Rose out. Christian Wood played pretty well. Luke Kennard played pretty well, but it wasn't enough. You're going to need to score 120 to beat Washington this year because they'll give it to you. In any event, uh, Blake Griffin said he's expecting to be back later this week. He's going to be evaluated before Wednesday's game. He'll probably be a game-time decision then. You're probably not playing him in his first game back if you're not in an unlimited games format. So I'd probably wait till Friday to get him in there, but he only needs you know mid-20s and minutes to do enough to be fantasy-relevant. He's just not a very good nine-category guy to begin with. The Washington side, I thought, had more interesting storylines. Number one, Thomas Bryant somehow hung in there for 27 minutes against Drummond before he picked up, you know, he had five fouls and sort of hanging on by a thread. Bradley Beal's having a weird start to the year. Teams, this is the thing, teams are taking the Wizards seriously right now. (laughs) Detroit just isn't very good without their two best scorers on the floor. I can't believe I'm saying that. And so teams are focusing in on Beal. He missed some free throws. He turned the ball over a bunch of times. The rest of his game was actually okay. He's a very strong buy low candidate right now. I don't think that most people are paying close attention to the fact that Bradley Beal is off to a slow start, except the people that have Beal, because it hasn't been an obscenely slow start. It's just been a sort of quiet beginning to the year. He's shooting under 40%, but he's scoring 27 points a game because, you know, who else is going to do it? Three and a half three-pointers a game, 1.6 steals, half a block. His turnovers are super high. So a lot of stuff is kind of depressed by the big turnovers, by the bad field goal percent. I think if you have Beal, you're probably looking at him like, well, this has been not exactly what I wanted. But at the same time, he's actually been pretty good, and he's just a regression away from being his normal you know, early second-round per-game guy with a little bit of durability upside in the hope that he plays down the stretch. What can you get him for? You're probably going to have to lob out there a second rounder who's basically performing as expected. So you're not going to be able to get him. I mean, guys, you got to do better with the trades, guys. You got to do better with the trades. So you're going to probably have to throw out someone like uh, Trey Young, for instance, who, in, again, in 9-cat, you know that field goal percent is coming down. And as his goes down and Beals goes up, they're just going to pass each other, ships in the night. The defensive stat difference between the two guys is probably going to be like one full defensive stat per game. It's a big deal. Um, Kemba Walker is a possibility here, although those numbers actually seem fairly sustainable for him, other than the 93% foul shooting. So maybe that's not the best name to lob out there. Uh, Luka Doncic is a possibility. You might want to just hang on to him and ride it. So you look at these names, guys that are overperforming, whatever. I mean, do you want Jimmy Butler or do you want Bradley Beal? It sort of depends on what stats you want. But Butler looks to me like he's ready to be a first-round guy this season. So I'm probably not giving him up either. So you got to try to find the right guy. Would you trade LeBron James for him? Yeah, I think you should. LeBron probably not going to shoot 76 at the free throw line all year. Wish guys like uh, Rudy Gobert were playing better. You could throw him out there, but he hasn't been very good. Russell Westbrook, maybe somebody would take that one. Give it some thought. It's not an obvious thing, uh, and you're probably your best move there is to try to make a one-for-one. 
Uh, Rui Hachimura played only 16 minutes. He had foul trouble early and then just couldn't really get it going. Mo Wagner played 21. Troy Brown uh, had a really nice ball game. Uh, 30 minutes off the bench. I'm not sold that this is a thing that can happen every night. But again, this Wizards team, there's just sort of stuff to go around. And somebody had to go get rebounds while Thomas Bryant was trying to keep Drummond away from him. So I don't know that this is happening again. If you want to jump out in front of the curve and grab him and see what happens, that's fine. He's only 13% owned. He's probably available out there. He hasn't shown a fantastic fantasy stat set in his young career. He doesn't hit the three ball. If the steals weren't there, this would have been not... I mean, it would have been good, but it would have been a little more empty. I'm just... I'm not seeing it yet. The guy that everybody was talking about in this game was not Davis Bertans, nor should it be, because as we've talked about, he's three balls and nothing else. Isaiah Thomas, who moved into the starting lineup and played 24 and a half minutes, so that minute count is slowly creeping up. When the news broke that he was starting, and you can check me on this, I sent a tweet out that said, you know what, I'm not positive that I'm throwing him into my starting lineup yet. Ultimately, I did. I sent that note out as well. But I thought it was sort of an interesting case study in when to start a guy. When do we start a guy? And the first thought that popped into, I think, everybody's head is, oh, sweet, he's starting. The minutes are going up, which is correct, by the way. That should be your first reaction. Your second reaction, though, should be, oh, well, I mean, life was pretty good for him when he was coming in off the bench and just gunning, firing like it's going out of style. He's going to be expected to kind of bow next to Bradley Beal, as he should. Beal's a far superior offensive player. And yeah, he's going to get some looks up because he's Isaiah Thomas and he's not going to be thwarted from taking a a few shots, but he's going to go against better players. He's not going to be the initial option when he's on the floor. And we saw a little bit of that in this ballgame. Now, again, I did ultimately decide to play him, so maybe I should have sat on it, but he had a three ball, a steal, a block, six assists, and really he was one or two made buckets away from this being a pretty good ball game. Like, what if one of those other three-pointers goes in? And it's 12 and six with a two threes, a steal, and a block. He had three free throws coming that actually got challenged and taken away. This could have been much better if he made all three free throws. He didn't get them. So this ultimately, in the long term, is very good news for Isaiah Thomas, that they want to shoehorn him into the starting lineup and get him in with the main guys and get his minutes up and get his conditioning up. And presumably, because we've seen him play pretty well, they feel like he can be better, that he can sort of keep improving, keep adding minutes, keep adding shots, keep adding assists, hitting threes, doing all that good stuff, and hopefully he can do it on percentages that won't annihilate you on a night-to-night basis. But in try one coming back into the starting lineup, it was a rough go. Legitimately, I don't even know who the point guard was for Detroit in this game. Was it Bruce Brown? Probably. Who cares? Good uh, defensive player. Did that have an impact on Isaiah? Maybe. Yeah, I think he actually blocked two of his jump shots in this game. So, I mean, that's going to happen from time to time. He doesn't have the lift he used to. He's got to get the shots off quicker. Overall, I liked what I saw. He got a lot of touches. He didn't force a ton of stuff. He just doesn't have the game he used to have. And maybe it'll start to come back. But he's obviously still a guy you hold. 
And if 24 and a half minutes was the target in this one, does it go up to 25 in the next one? Does he add like 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes as he works his way up to whatever the full allotment might be? Like, do they want him to get to 28 minutes a game? I don't know. I think you can probably start him and just see how it goes. You have to hope that, you know, on a night-to-night basis, sometimes they'll fall, sometimes they won't. Overall, to me, this was a good sign. We should have sat on him. My initial feeling was sit on it, see what happens. I got sort of suckered in by not wanting to miss him going big. And uh, he didn't go big. But he will soon. It's there. These Wizards, they take a lot of shots. Some of them, for him, are going to go in. Bander Ingham came back from his head injury and had 40 points. He's gone nuts. Kid with something to prove. They lost again because not unlike the uh, Lakers of yesteryear, uh, these, these guys don't defend. Ingram, for whatever reason, all those big R, long, long, I mean, his arms are crazy long. He's not much of a defender. Josh Hart, he tries his credit, but someone's always letting somebody go right by him. Lonzo Ball played 21 minutes in this game. That was de- kind of depressing. J.J. Redick, only 21 minutes as well. Uh, Hart was good. Drew was good. Ingram was good. Everybody else was pretty bad. And Derek Favors, who played, only logged eight minutes off the bench. Am I dropping him? I'm still going to let this thing play a tiny bit longer. I've made it this far. It's time to sort of see what happens. But he certainly doesn't look healthy. And at some point, we're going to have to cut bait. I just know as soon as I do, I'm going to regret it. Kyrie Irving was great. He has been, often. Torian Prince was very good, again, starting to show some consistency. Joe Harris, staying hot. Karis LeVert had himself a really nice counting stat game and then missed a bunch of free throws and turned it over too many times. So, I mean, it was still a good game. Make no mistake, it was still a good game. It just has these holes that creep up. And Spencer Dinwiddie, who I talked about over the weekend, is totally a drop. Jared Allen's got some room to breathe now. DeAndre Jordan turned his ankle in this ballgame. So that's cool. That made the drop there a lot easier for you guys, right? DeAndre Jordan is 73% on. That is a travesty. He stinks and he's not playing the minutes against anybody besides Andre Drummond. Move on. Oh, by the way, I'm still sitting on J.J. Redick. I cannot believe that he would join this team to play 21 minutes a night. I cannot believe it. Unless he's hoping to get bought out or traded at the deadline. It's like, hey, I'll play for you guys for three and a half months. Then you trade me, you get yourself a second-round pick, and uh, bing, bang, boom, I'll go shoot some threes for a good team. New Orleans is fun, but they are not good. Houston was the team I was talking about at the opening of the podcast. It's tough to fade a team after they got embarrassed. Everything about this game was screaming, Rockets will win and cover. It was not an easy cover. 107-100, the final score line was five and a half, so they covered by a point and a half. But it also, I think, illustrates a key point about betting, which is that a lot of people are looking for angles and trends when what you should really be looking for is value. It's much like draft night for fantasy. You're looking for something that is valued incorrectly. In this case, I felt that Houston, coming off getting blown out by almost 40 points by the Miami Heat in arguably the most embarrassing game that I've seen this season, which again, not that many games yet, but that was certainly up there. Embarrassed teams tend to come out with a little extra oomph in their next one. On top of that, Russell Westbrook was sitting this one out. Load management. So this one was screaming 
Houston guys that know how to play with one another already. Eric Gordon played better. James Harden played better. Clint Capella played a little bit better. Not great, but better. Daniel House back in the starting lineup was fantastic. Second most minutes on the team behind just James Harden. 15-9 and nine with a steal and three blocks. See, told you guys not to worry. P.J. Tucker is coming back to earth. We knew this was going to happen. Dude wasn't going to be a top 25 guy all season long. People are going to drop him because now he's had two really bad ones. It's like the Danny Green thing. It's always going to level off. But he played 34 minutes. They come, they go. He only took one shot in this game. Super weird. He had a 4.6 usage. That's tough to do, actually. That's some Shane Battier stuff right there. Memphis side, they just split everything up. This is what they're doing now. Uh, Dylan Brooks led the team in minutes with 31 and a half. He scored 17 points on 18 shots. That's a wet fart. Uh, JV played 24 minutes. We knew this was going to be a tough one for him against the speedy Rockets, but he'd have a double-double with a block. He's coming along nicely. He'll be there soon. Uh, and then Tyus Jones played better than, uh, I don't know, somebody. Not John Morant, because they, they were on the floor at the same time a bit. They just gave everybody minutes. Caboclo got 24, Jones 25, Clark 20, Ja 28, JV 24, Dylan Brooks 31, Slow-Mo 25, Jay Crowder 29 before he got ejected. Even Solomon Hill had 15 minutes in this game. Memphis is a hard team for fantasy right now. Ja, JV, Clark, and then when he comes back, JJJ. And I, you know, I don't know that you can stretch it any farther than that. And even those guys are tough on a night-to-night basis. Well, night one without Carl Anthony Towns was fine. Night two was a rough one. The Bucks, 134. The Timberwolves, 106. Chris Middleton, very good. Eric Bledsoe, very good. Giannis, very good, except the free throw line and the three-point line. Oh. Brooke Lopez, a three ball, a steal, and three blocks. We got everything we could have wanted out of this ballgame. And Eric Bledsoe is back, baby. Just took a few games. He just had to shake the rust off. He's fine. You know, he was terrible for four games. Last three, he's been really good. 18-6-6, and 14-9-5, 22-9-6. The last week has been much kinder to our friend Eric Bledsoe. And the steals are still coming. That's the best part about all of this. The steals are still super low, and we know those are coming up. I think your window to buy low has ended. You could even consider trying to sell him a little bit. Maybe not. Something to think about. Uh, for the Timberwolves, Robert Covington, he's slowly starting to look more like himself. Um, Andrew Wiggins was actually not terrible in this game, which is something. Gorgie Jang, you knew he was going to have a tougher time with Milwaukee, and then everybody else just got ripped to pieces in a blowout loss. You can throw it out. Phoenix Suns win again. They beat the Philadelphia 76ers. I mentioned this as another super fishy line. They were favored by a point. Who saw that one coming? As soon as I saw that line, I said something weird is going on in this one. I don't know if Phoenix is drunk or what. Or, excuse me, Philadelphia. Uh, Tobias Harris was very good. Ben Simmons was not. Al Horford was insanely good. Furkan Korkmaz had 20. Matisse Thybul, two points, nothing else. If you guys try to ram that dude down my throat anymore, I swear I'm going to lose my mind. He's not there yet. 
He's not there yet. I know the defensive stats are really alluring, but he's doing nothing else. You have to do something else. Even for me, the man who loves defensive stats almost as much as percentages, which, by the way, for well, not good. He's shooting 23% from the field, 75 at the foul line, which, I mean, yeah, the field goal percent should come up, but what do we really know? Anyway, it's a tough sell, man. A lot of you guys are hanging on there, and I don't, I, I understand why, but Josh Richardson, who played 38 minutes, would basically have to go down. Devin Booker was very good. Ricky Rubio was very good. Aaron Baines was very good. Mikael Bridges actually played 25 minutes in this one, so that was something. No one had foul trouble either. Dario Saric played 25 minutes, had five turnovers. He was not good. He got Al Horforded right out of his game. Same with, or Ben Simmons did. Kelly Oubre, solid. Missed some free throws, but otherwise decent enough. Frank Kaminsky, sucks. Can't believe I got suckered into that one for a day and a half. Very upset with myself. Come on, Dan. Get your freaking act together. And the last game on the docket was an interesting one for a number of reasons. We'll do the Portland side first. Hassan Whiteside made his return after a very brief absence, played 28 minutes, moved Anthony Tolliver down to the starting power forward job. Tolliver only played 17 minutes. He was never going to be on the radar to be a pickup. The concern here was that it would squeeze Mario Hazonia, and it did. Now, to Hazonia's credit, he made the most of his 26 minutes on the court yesterday. He fouled out with 11 points, 5 boards, a steal, and 3 three-pointers on 4 out of 6 shooting. Here's why I remain down on Hazonia. And it seems like people are listening, because he's only owned in one of my most important leagues right now. He's only 6% owned, and it hasn't really been spiking much, despite effectively now two pretty good games in a row reason number one i'm not into it 26 minutes isn't enough reason under number two i'm not into it he's not going to shoot 67 percent every night reason number three the warriors went obscenely small in this game and actually forced the blazers to play hazonia at center for the last three four five minutes i think of the ball game so that's not going to happen. He's not going to shoot 67% every night. I do think his usage would probably be a little bit higher on a night-to-night basis, but he's always going to be behind Dame, Whiteside, McCollum, and probably Rodney Hood, although he didn't quite look healthy in this game. He played a ton of minutes, but he didn't have his stroke. I do, by the way, I think Rodney Hood should be on your fantasy team, which is a weird thing to say after a guy farts out a 4-6 and six line in 36 minutes, but he had actually been really really good before that, and they're playing him a truckload of small forward minutes right now. So I'm not in on Hazonia. Whiteside uh, missed a bunch of free throws, so that's starting to creep up a little bit. That's the thing you worry about with him, because you know that the other stuff is going to be there. Free throw percentage for the year is still at 70%. Yesterday was the first sort of hard sign we've seen of things that derailed him in the past. Let's hope it's just a blip and not a thing that's actually sticking around, because he's inside the top 60 right now. Really good start to the year for Hassan. Uh, Also, I'm sort of moving towards the outskirts on my guy Kent Bazemore. I I like the fact that he has a legitimate role of just getting in and disrupting, playing hard defense, and he has a steal and a block per game so far this year. He's actually a 1-1-1 guy. 1-3, 1 steal, 1 block. 
Eight points, five boards. All that stuff is actually fairly reasonable and acceptable. The problem for Kent this year, and maybe this levels off, I honestly don't know if it does. He's shooting just 36.4% uh, from the field and 61 at the free throw line. Both of those well below his career mark. 42 from the field, 72 at the free throw line. So he's 6% off almost in field goal percent, and he's 10% off in free throw, although it's super low volume, so that's probably not the big motivating factor. His rebounding is actually up this year over his time in Atlanta. Assists are down because he's not running the offense. Steals and blocks both look pretty good. Minutes, almost exactly what we saw in Atlanta last year. That's the thing with Kent. He really only needs about 25, 26 minutes to be pretty damn successful. The role right now is what concerns me. So I'm sitting on him a little bit longer because I like the minutes. I like the defensive stats. I just want to see a little bit more offense. And maybe that doesn't come. And if it doesn't, then we move on. But he's really close. I'm just moving to, I'm moving away. So I'm definitely out on his own, yeah. I'm moving a little bit less lovey-dovey with Kent Bazemore because it doesn't look like he wants to shoot much. Ten shots yesterday, so at least that was something. The Warriors is probably the side of this game that you guys really want me to talk about, and I don't know that I'm going to give you the answer that you want. Uh, Eric Pascal at 36-13 and 13 with a block, four three-pointers, a perfect 10 out of 10 free throws, and 58% from the field in this game. Damian Lee had 16-4 and four with two steals on... He had eight out of nine free throws. Kai Bowman had 19 points, four boards, and eight assists. They put up a buck 27, guys. Jordan Poole had 16 and five on a horrible shooting game. Warriors shot a ton of free throws in this and made almost all of them, which floated a lot of guys' value. Uh, Jordan Poole was horrendous from the field, two out of 16. That's, that's pretty rough. Um... Glenn Robinson III, who was the guy that we talked about on our premium show yesterday and said, hey, look, can he start to become a higher usage guy? Took one step away from that. He played 31 minutes, but really didn't have any usage at all. Eight, 5.6 boards, three assists. You've got to be more involved. So he's not making a case for himself. Willie Cauley-Stein only played 16 minutes. He was terrible. So this was a total mishmash. Everyone in your league will be picking up Eric Pascal. But here's why I want to tell you, if you are one of the guys who got him, feel free to ride it and see where it goes. But I can tell you this definitively, he is not going to shoot 60% for the season. I don't know anything about his free throw percent, so I'm not going to make any overarching claims there. It seems like he's actually a pretty good foul shooter. But he ain't shooting 60% from the field all season long. Certainly not on the volume he's been taking the last three or four games. If you remove the high-volume field goal number, he actually becomes kind of just a free-throw specialist, which I know is going to boggle everyone's mind that I'm not that high on a guy that put up a 34-13 and 13 line. I said on Twitter that I thought his ownership would go from 37% to 52% overnight. He's at 50% right now, as we discuss on this podcast. So, so far, I'm right on the money. It's not going to hold. He's not going to average whatever he is over the last four games. 26, 51, 85. He's averaging 22 points a game over that stretch. 21 and a half. He's not going to score 21 points a game. You know, he's not going to average like six or seven rebounds a night. It's just, it's not sustainable. So I offer that caveat before saying, yeah, yeah, absolutely need to pick him up. They're about to play a, D a Houston team that plays no defense at all. 
So there does appear to be at least one more really golden opportunity for him. And we don't know when D'Angelo Russell's coming back. When he comes back, a lot of these shots that are going to Pascal and Bowman and Poole, those all get looped back into Russell, who's probably going to take 20 to 25 shots a game. That's a lot coming out of other people's buckets. Four from Bowman, five from Pascal, six from Poole, three from Alex Burke. I mean, it's got to come somewhere. It's all getting chewed up. So, where does this leave us? It leaves us with Pascal is a pickup. So I'm not taking that off the table. He's a pickup. But I want to temper everybody's expectations. This, to me, is way more of a sell moment for him than a moment to say, oh, I got the steal of the century. Take a guy who just had probably what will be his best game all season long and see if you can package him with someone on your team who's hovering around the 50 to 60 range and go try to get a guy who's ranked 35. See if someone in your league is looking at it and going, holy crap, Pascal's going to be a top 40 guy the rest of the year. I can tell you definitively he won't be. Because even at his best, his stat set doesn't profile as a top-tier fantasy guy. Maybe he shoots 50%. I don't know. Maybe, But it's not going to be 60. And is he going to make 10 out of 10 free throws every game? Probably not. He's probably not a 90% free throw shooter overall. Could be pretty good, but probably not 90. Is he going to make four threes a night? No. In fact, he hadn't hit a three-pointer this season, I don't believe, prior to that ball game. But he's going to play, and he looks like he's willing to take shots. I am way more inclined to say this is a guy that will dominate your points league than I am to say he's a guy who's going to dominate like an eight-cat league. I like him, though. It's a weird, I'm, I'm at a weird junction point here on the podcast because I, I don't know if I'm making myself perfectly clear. I do think he should be owned. But I also think that that was the apex. That was the best one. So there's going to be some decent ones coming. There are going to be some inconsistent ones. The guy I'm actually super interested in is Kai Bowman. If they ever totally shut down everyone on this team, his stat set looks way more interesting. Threes, assists. He seemed like he stepped sort of into the point guard job. Jordan Poole, too, is an interesting one. I know he shot the ball terribly, but very high usage. Highest on the team in yesterday's game. So that's stuff I'm watching as well. Pascal's going to be the guy that ends up on everybody's team today. But if this full team gets shut down, Bowman and Poole are actually the guys that I'm looking at with a slightly better stat set. Weird, but true. Just keep an eye on it. Keep an eye on it. Um, and that's the Warrior side. I do still think Willie Cauley-Stein is going to eventually play his way into some value. And so he's probably a pickup as well. Uh... And I'd really, I'd love a timeline on D'Angelo Russell because it's it's going to throw a massive wrench into everything that you're seeing right now. Guys, check out manscaped.com for your male specialty grooming need. I suppose you could probably use it on females too. I don't know. I think they just say male because most of our audience is male. But there's probably a handful of you women out there, which is awesome. Let me know you're listening. At Dan Besper. Say, Dan, there's a woman actually listening to your show. We play fantasy sports too, damn it. I have multiple female combatants in my leagues. Rachel, she's wonderful. She's a new mom. Shout out Rachel in my keeper league. Um, so you can go to manscaped.com as well. Get a gift for yourself or for the, the man in your life. A man in your life. <laughs> this is for any woman listening to the show. Uh, I don't even know if you can truly give this as a gift, but if you can and you can get away with it, you should do it. It's a great product. Check out the Lawnmower 2.0. 6,000 strokes per minute. 
fit a full hour of battery on one charge. You can go for a walk around the neighborhood while you're working on your business. The trimming head is replaceable on the Lawnmower 2.0. It's also waterproof as well. And as I've mentioned on the show every time so far, I love the fact that they've partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society. It's a fantastic partnership. It makes a ton of sense because they do a lot of selling with kind of funny jokes about private parts. Um, And it's great that they're giving back as well. So check it out, manscaped.com. Use promo code HOOPBALL to get 20% off and free shipping on your order. And you can do it a few times if you want. If you decide you want to go back, get something else, get the 20% off and free shipping again, use the promo code HOOPBALL again. H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L. 20% off your order. Free shipping. Manscaped.com. Past tense. You've been manscaped. Deal with this situation, people. Take care of yourself. God, I need to work on my own full hygiene. (laughs) Tonight, Tuesday evening, six games late, Boston is at Cleveland, favored by five and a half on the road. Indiana in Charlotte. San Antonio is at Atlanta. The Lakers are in Chicago to take on the Bulls. They're six and a half point road favorites. Orlando, three and a half point dogs in Oklahoma City. And the Nuggets, five-point favorites at home against the Miami Heat. Sadly, none of these games are revenge angles, although we're starting to get into that time of year. So we'll keep our eyes out for those or any of our other favorite betting angles. They just don't exist on this particular card. Not my favorite. Not my favorite card. Kind of like Oklahoma City. Orlando's played really good defense, but offensively they've been almost completely inept. And I know Steven Adams is going to make Vooch work. We'll wait for the lines on some of those other games. But yeah, this is, this is a particularly tough one. From a fantasy perspective, and then I have some other things I'd like to get into here. We're far from done with the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Don't, uh, don't get ready to turn us off yet. Um, from a fantasy perspective, Boston, fairly straightforward. Jalen Brown's still out with whatever this weird injury is. Cleveland, it's mostly the front court. I do think Larry Nance is going to be fine. I know that most people disagree with me right now, but I'm not bailing out on that ship. Indiana, uh, Damana Sabonis, his health, uh, you know, that's going to reflect quite a bit on Goga Batadze, depending on what he's doing, and then Miles Turner probably out a few more games. Charlotte, we have a good idea. San Antonio, I mean, they're a pain. Spurs are a pain in the butt right now. Trey Young, is he playing for Atlanta? That's something to keep an eye on. We still haven't really seen anybody else step up for that team. Lakers, I think we can safely say JaVale McGee is cooked. Dwight Howard has completely jumped him. And Kyle Kuzma looks incredibly rusty. So if if you have someone in your league who's pretty worried about that dude, you might be able to pluck him for a late guy. That's all he is, by the way, in 9-cat anyway, is a late guy. Chicago, we saw some signs of life from Tomas Sadoransky in that last ballgame. And that's really all it was, but it was something. You know, he was aggressive. He was leading the break. We saw a number of nice assists from him just because... He didn't settle in and run a dumb half-court set. Just go get an easy bucket for once. Let's see if Otto Porter can bounce back. This is a tough one, by the way. Lakers play really good defense. He's going to be dealing with Braun for some stretch of this ballgame. Orlando, everybody's watching Markel Fultz. I am unsold on that one. He's outside the top 200 so far this year, so it's going to take a pretty significant lift to get him up and over that mark. Obviously, you love the main guys in Oklahoma City. Chris Paul, Shea. 
Schroeder, Adams should be good now that he's back. Gallo, they're an easy team to handicap. Miami, they're an interesting one every night. We're watching Myers-Leonard. This is probably the game to watch, by the way, because I really want to see how Miami develops their chemistry, their unity as a team. We've seen Meyer Leonard. Myers-Leonard look really good. Jimmy Butler looks really good since coming back from his uh, the birth of his child. Kendrick Nunn finally had an off game. Tyler Harrell was good. Is it going to be two out of the three between those two guys and Goran Dragic on a night-to-night basis? Is Justice Winslow going to play, and does that render Duncan Robinson useless? They have a lot of plug-and-play guys on that team. They're well-coached. They finally have a star. I mean, that's a huge deal for a well-coached team to actually have a go-to guy, someone that has some gravity on the court, and Jimmy Butler is definitely that dude. Denver doesn't look very good so far this year. But Miami looked about as good as anybody in the league, and so that, to me, might, have be, might be pulling this line to a more reasonable number, and I don't know that I like it. I have a good reason to bet on or against both sides in this game. Nikola Jokic, he's a buy-low guy. Jamal Murray, that is who he is at this point. Whatever he's doing, this is Jamal Murray. Gary Harris, right on the cusp. Paul Millsap, right on the cusp. Will Barton's been out. This team's a pain, too. Not as big as the Spurs pain, but they're a pretty big pain also. It's Tuesday, and so kind of in honor of the fact that we normally talk sports betting a little bit on Tuesdays, I thought I would get into a couple of the concepts that we're going to be dealing with this year. Uh, Tomorrow's show, I want to get into some more trade stuff with Brandon Marcus, a little bit on how you formulate them, what your goals should be. That'll be on Wednesday's show. But for this one... I thought it'd be good to just throw out some of our key betting tenets that we rely upon heavily as we work our way through the season. I am what I think you could call a motivational basketball better, meaning that most of what we wager on is based on little emotional, motivational angles that are not necessarily built, as they say, cooked into the line. They are not cooked in. I say baked in. That's one that gets used a lot as well. So a line is built on power rankings and rest and star presence if there's a particular guy out. Because everybody on a team has a certain value to that team. The team has a power ranking. And Vegas comes up with their lines basically by just pushing that stuff together and spitting out a line. People come in early and bet into it, and they adjust the line accordingly. They're not as perfect as you guys think. They're very smart, but, you know, sophisticated power rankings are often pretty damn smart. Where we find our angles is not when stars are missing, although actually sometimes it is because you bet on the team that's missing the star because the line actually moves too far in one direction. Maybe I should put that on the list here. That's called the injured star theory. That's one thing we're going to talk about today. Second thing we're going to talk about today is what led us to wager on the Houston Rockets. We touched upon that a little bit earlier in the podcast. I call that the embarrassment angle. And then my favorite one of all is what's known as the revenge angle. And I had some of you come to me last year on Twitter, which again, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, and tell me that revenge angles are bunk. You guys are not talking about the same thing as me. Number one, I'm not talking about ATS revenge angles. I don't care about against the spread records, team versus team. The guys on the court don't care about that, and what I'm doing is I am measuring motivational edge. Number two, 
The revenge angles that people say are totally bunk is when guys talk about teams playing or players playing their former teams, you know, two, three, four years down the line. By the way, there is evidence to suggest that a guy playing a former team for a first time does have an emotional edge. Look at Marcus Morris in his game against the Celtics. It's actually real. As much as we'd like to just say it's some dumb thing that people talk about. That one actually does exist. It's not a huge thing. You don't worry about it too much. But just talk, talk to my buddy Micah Patria, at Micah Patria on Twitter. He tracks those types of narratives when he's picking his DFS lineups at times. And finally, home and home is the other angle that we're going to be looking for a lot. What you'll find is that all of these betting angles are built on emotional value in the line. We'll start, we'll work in the order that we just mentioned them. The injured star theory, which states that when an injured player or a superstar is out for a particular team, generally this has to be short-term absence or the first game or two of a long-term absence. It doesn't last any longer than that. In fact, it usually pendulum swings the opposite direction. This states that when an injured star player is removed from an equation for a team, the line will actually move too far because it moves for the player, and then it moves additionally when money, usually public money, comes in on the opposite side. For example, Joel Embiid, suspended for two games, First game they missed in Portland, Philadelphia, covered, actually won the ball game. Why does something like that happen? That's obviously just one example, so it doesn't tell an entire story. But what it does say is the line, there's value built in because generally you see the players that are not the superstar step up their game. It increases their focus. It blows up the game plan for an opposing team. You know, and Philadelphia comes to town, most teams are game planning for Joel Embiid. So they got to try to fix things at the last minute. Motivational level is going to be down. They think they have an easier time of it. So there's actually sort of a few things that happen. The line moves, the public moves it farther. The team that loses the superstar plays harder, and the team that's playing against that team plays weaker. So there's usually, whatever you want to call it, one to two points of additional value built into the line. Does that mean every time it's going to work? No. Because basketball is a game of odds. Sometimes the line's going to have some value, but the final result is going to come three or four points away from the expected result, and you're going to lose it. But if you did it 100,000 times, and you had two points of value against the lumber, and when it all averages out, every bet you make has a two points better than average chance of winning, that's a positive expected value. I forgot what order I mentioned these things on the list, so we're just going to go to the next one uh, and call it the embarrassment angle. And this is one that I think needs more work because I had my good buddy, Neil Rochelani, track some of the results on the embarrassment angle, and it was unclear when it was actually worth exploring, meaning how much did a team have to be embarrassed before they cared enough to fight harder? Is it 20 points? Is it 25? Is it 30? Is it 35? The bigger the loss the more likely it is that they will play better in their next ballgame. But you also have to factor in a couple additional things. Number one, is it a team that's actually any good? Sometimes a team gets blown out by 30 points, and they're so terrible it doesn't matter. You have to wipe those off the table. But Houston was a good example of a good team that cares, that got exposed by an also pretty good team, and then felt 
well, embarrassed. So they came out, they played better. The line was set. There was probably two points of value. They covered by about two points. It almost never works out that perfectly, but that's how it did. Third one, the revenge angles that we were talking about. This is not, again, an against-the-spread revenge angle. This is how do teams fare against one another in reality and how that translates to how they compete with one another from a betting perspective. Let's say a team, Team A, plays Team B and loses. Team B is now 1-0 against Team A. The next time they play, Team A is going to say, oh, this son of a whatever team, they beat us. Let's go get them. That's not built into the line. It's not. Oftentimes, there's a lot of other stuff going on. So you're not going to wager on every one of these things, you know, if there's a star out or there's other weird stuff happening. But if that's the only factor at play, I love the team that actually wants to get a little revenge. And if they lose twice, I love them even more. But it's not an ATS thing. And as soon as each team has won one game in the season series, it's done. Unless the two teams are playing within about a week, twice. Those are what are known as home and home series, where two teams play each other two times in rapid succession at each team's home court. You can usually fade the result of the first meeting. Not always. You have to take into a few small caveats, and we'll always bring those up as we're looking at this stuff. But this has already happened this year. Uh, I believe it was Indiana. Let's see if I can find the, the actual the two teams that played one another. I think it was Indiana... And Cleveland? Am I getting that right? Ugh, I'm going to biff that one. And that's unfortunate. Because it would have made a really nice point if I could have remembered it off the top of my head. I think the Pacers have played the Cavs twice already. Let's double check this. This is the magic of the internet while we're right in the middle of a podcast. Uh, yeah. So, uh, second game of the year, Pacers went on the road and got beat by 11 points by a bad Cavs team. And they hosted the Cavaliers... A week later, less, October 26th to November 1st. What's the gap there? Uh, six days. No, it's one full week. It's exactly a week. And the Pacers came back and beat them by seven. That was the line, so you would have pushed, which is unfortunate for our example here. But if you fade the result from the first time, meaning Indiana not only lost against the spread, but they actually lost the game outright, there is usually a little bit of additional value built into the line because people see that first result and their instinct is to say, oh, Cleveland beat this team. They're better than we thought. Or Indiana lost to this team. They're not as good as we thought. People take way too much information from one game when in fact, sometimes it's an aberration. Sometimes weird stuff happens. We know what we know. Indiana's a better team than the Cleveland Cavaliers. So the line gets adjusted the wrong way. We take advantage of it. And those are the four main... Well, there's flying into altitude off the second half of back-to-back coming from the West Coast. But that one's pretty specific. What I'd like to point out, by the way, is that Indiana was a five-point favorite in Cleveland the week before when they lost by 11. Normally, and I don't know if anybody was on a back-to-back in that one. It's conceivable that one of those two teams was. Normally, in a situation like that, you would see about a three-point addition for home court. So that would go from Indiana by five to Indiana by eight at a neutral site to Indiana by 11 on their own court. And instead, 
It was by seven. Do we really think they got four points worse compared to Cleveland in power rankings between those meetings? I certainly do not. That obviously tells us the first line was way off the mark. The second one was much closer. But this is the type of stuff you see in the middle of the season, once the power rankings are much more accurate, where you see a two-point adjustment instead of six, and you can look at that and go, oh, four points of value, easy. If you'd like to bet along with us on this stuff, head to mybookie.ag. See what I did there? Pretty good, huh? Mybookie.ag. They'll match your first deposit up to $1,000 with promo code TODAY, T-O-D-A-Y. Open up your account immediately. Again, it's mybookie.ag with promo code TODAY. Bet along with us as we find all of these motivational angles with a couple points of value against the spread. That's all you need, people. Two points of value against the spread, you will be a millionaire. Slowly. But surely, don't do anything crazy, and we will work our way there. Folks, we're continuing to take recruits for team coverage. This is a serious undertaking. I want to warn everybody of this. This is not something you are dabbling in. If you want to do this, hit me up. At Dan Bespris. D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. I would love to hear from you. I would love to put you in the right direction, point you to the right people. You will very rarely have an opportunity to learn from someone like Aaron Bruski, who has covered a team. You know, if you want to cover a team, this is a great place to start. You'll learn the ropes here at Hoopball. Maybe you grow with us here. That'd be great. Again, at Dan Vespers on Twitter. Hit me up for whatever your concerns may be. Again, check out Game Time Premium over at Hoopball. Check out mybookie.ag. Check out manscaped.com. Use our different promo codes. I mean, come on. Explore the advertisers. If you don't get anything, go over to their websites, check them out, see what they got. Again, coming up tomorrow, I'm going to talk trades with Brandon Marcus. I thought that was a lot of fun last week. We did some buy low, sell high stuff. I really want to get into the theory of trading in fantasy sports. The overarching theme being you guys all try to do it too fast. Don't try to make a massive leap with one trade. It's got to be five, six, seven small ones over the course of the year. And it's hard because each of them adjusts your team build a little bit. But my goal is always to try to take some fourth rounders and very slowly turn it into a first. Five, six, seven trades later, whatever it takes. My late fourth becomes a late third. My late third becomes a late second. My late second becomes a mid-second. My mid-second becomes an early second. It takes time, and it takes waiver wire pickups because you're pairing guys together. And here's the other... I'm getting ahead of myself. This is all for tomorrow's show. Stop trying to pawn off your crummy waiver wire guys in a two-for-one. That's not what it means. You have to send two proven guys away and then move your waiver wire player into a starting spot. You keep the hot pickup... You trade away the proven guy. Nobody wants your hot pickup. Whatever. We'll get into that. Again, this is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoopball presentation. Rate and review the podcast if you enjoy what you're listening to. We really appreciate those. They mean a ton. They help us grow. Go to the iTunes link or whatever you're listening to it on. Drop a five-star review if you want to write something. That would be even better. Again, at Dan Vespers on Twitter. Have a wonderful Tuesday, everybody. We will talk to you tomorrow. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.